We're looking today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and looking at verse 58. Uh, toward the end of the chapter, this great chapter that talks about the resurrection of Jesus, and then he comes to the end with verse 58. And would you please rise as we look at God's word, read from God's word. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Lord, thank you for that promise, that assurance. That is not in vain. It's not in vain to spend time today worshiping. It's not in vain to spend time looking at your word. It's not at all in vain. Thank you for reminding us of that. Pray you teach us about that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Knew somebody, a young guy, one of his early jobs that he had working on assembly line at Boeing. Basically one of those jobs you put something together with this and you kind of do the same thing most all day, just putting stuff together. He was working with some guys who had been doing that 20, 30 years, and they hated it. 20, 30 years, they're working at this assembly line, doing the same old thing, and they're just, he said, they were just working, just talking about what they're going to do on the weekend, just longing for Friday afternoon to come. Just longing to put in enough time so they could finally be done with that job and they could finally retire and quit and stop doing that, which they were, really didn't like doing. The young guy, he was listening to those guys, he was thinking, boy, I don't want to be living that life. <laughs> I don't want to be doing some kind of work where every day I just hate what I'm doing and I'm just longing for the time when I'm done doing it. And yet, sadly, that's a lot of people in life. A lot of people are doing stuff and they're doing it a whole lot and they don't really like it and they don't have a lot of joy in it. And sadly, for a lot of people, that's their idea of what work is. Work is something that you just don't really like. You just do it because you have to. And some people even get that idea about doing God's work. Well, it's something you have to do. Don't really like it, but it's something you have to do. God wants us to have a whole different attitude about work. He wants us to have a whole different mindset about serving him and serving people. We see that in these verses. We see that we work because of the resurrection. This verse starts out with this, this word, therefore. Therefore is one of those, those words that when you see that in the Bible, it kind of should get, you, get your attention. It means, okay, look at what just happened. Think about what he just said. And because of that, you do this. And he's saying, okay, therefore, because of all this stuff I've just been telling you about, live differently. Therefore, points us back to the, this whole previous chapter that's about the resurrection. The resurrection is our motivation to work. Whatever your work might be, whether your work is caring for grandkids, whether your work is praying for a whole bunch of people, whether your work is bringing meals over to a, a neighbor, whatever that work may be, he says, do it because of the resurrection. Do it because Jesus lives. 
If Jesus doesn't live, if Jesus is still in the grave, then there's no point in really doing this stuff. There's no point in giving. There's no point in serving if there's no resurrection. Earlier in chapter 15, he even says that basically he says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He says, if this life is all there is, then just live for yourself. If this life is all that there's ever going to be, then just look out for number one, get the most you can, just live for whatever pleases you. But, as he makes so clear and powerfully in this chapter, Jesus is risen from the dead. He did die on the cross for our sins. He did rise again from the dead. And because of that, we have motivation. We have motivation to live. We have motivation to give and to serve others. Our motivation is not, well, what can I get? Our motivation is not just to paycheck. Our motivation isn't so much what we're going to get from serving our neighbor. Our motivation is what Jesus has done for us. In 1 Thessalonians, he gives thanks for the people there, and he talks about what he's thankful for. He talks about your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord wants us to have labor that is prompted by love. Not labor that's prompted because we think, well, if I do something for them, they'll do something for me. Not working for your, your neighbor because you think, well, if I, if I do it, then I'll earn points with God and God will like me a little better. No, he doesn't want work that's motivated by that. Instead, he wants work that's motivated by the good news that we have life in Christ. We are loved by him. And because we have life, because we're loved, we serve. In Genesis chapter 29, there's a story about Jacob who falls in love with Rachel. And then her dad tricks him. He ends up having to marry the other daughter first. But then he's told, well, you need to work seven years. You can marry Rachel, but you're going to have to work seven years. And then there's this line. He says, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. When you're working because of love, it's a whole different kind of work. If you're working for God because you love him, it's going to change the way you work. It's going to change the way you serve. There's a lot of people who are doing a lot of service, but sadly they're doing service not prompted by love. They're just doing service because, well, they think, well, that's what I got to do. God wants our service to be prompted like Jacob's work for Rachel was. I may have told before about the Pike Place Fish Market. Uh, Pike Place Fish Market, the guy who, who owned it, ran it for a lot of years. He, early on when he was running the place, he, he was thinking about his, the whole situation. He was kind of just giving thought to work at the fish market, and he realized he didn't really like being there, and none of his employees liked being there either. And he started to think about, well, what's the problem? And he realized the problem was him. <laughs> and it was his attitude. He was treating the employees as just folks who were there to get a paycheck. And, and he was just there to try to make money out of the operation. And it was all just motivated by money and getting. And he thought, we've got a bad culture here. And we need to make changes. 
And he started caring about his employees and he started to try to develop a culture where his employees were working there not just to get a paycheck, but because they really cared about what happened there. He said it became a much more joyful place to be. When the attitude and the motivation was not just, okay, I'm doing what I have to do so I get paid. When they had some more motivation than that. God cares not just about what you do, but he cares about why you do it. He wants you to, he's not just saying, okay, do what you have to do and I'll I'll pay you. No, he's saying, I, I care, I want you to have your heart in it. The resurrection gives the motivation, and the resurrection provides power to work. Therefore, he says, give yourself fully. Therefore, stand firm. How can we do that? We do that because we look back at what Christ has done. Death has been defeated. Sin has been paid for at the cross. And because of that, we are enabled to stand firm. Because of the resurrection, we have strength to go and to serve. The resurrection makes it possible to to go and care for our neighbor in those hard times. If you're trying to work and serve just in your own strength, it's only going to last for a while. In the Old Testament prophet Hosea, he speaks to people and he says, because you have depended on your own strength and on your many warriors, the roar of battle will raise against your people. He's, He's Speaking harshly to him, he says, you've depended on your own strength. And a lot of times when we're doing work and service, we're depending on our strength instead of on God's strength. Therefore, because of the resurrection, because of God's work, we go forth and we work with his resurrection power in us. In Isaiah 40, he says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those who hope in the Lord, who don't just hope in themselves, but those who hope in the Lord renew their strength. Our power to to serve, our own strength is insufficient for that. We don't have the strength in ourselves. We don't have the resources in ourselves to really serve as we ought to. But the resurrected Lord, he has the power and the strength so we can serve. As a kid, sometimes my dad would let me be with him. That's me uh, a couple years ago. Uh, And with my dad on his fish boat. And my dad would let me be uh, behind the wheel. But clearly he was not going off somewhere else in the boat. (laughs) And letting me say, okay, you work and run the boat. And I'll, I'll go in the stern and take a nap or something. No, he didn't do that. He didn't just say, okay, you work and I'll, I'll watch you from a distance. Well, God doesn't do that either. Sometimes people get the image of working for God. It's, well, I, I work and God's off somewhere else and then he's going to just come back later and check on how much work I got done. No, he's more like my dad was with me. <laughs> he's right there with us. And that's how we work and we serve. We do so knowing that God is with us and he's guiding us and he's holding us and he's directing us and he's empowering us. Work knowing that God is at work in you and working through you. The resurrection is our motivation. The resurrection is our power. And because of that, give yourself fully to God's work. 
he invites us here. He calls us to, to not just do the minimum. Don't just say, well, what do I have to do to get by? What do I have to do so that God's pleased and keeps me in the kingdom? He's saying that's not to be our attitude. Okay, what's the minimum that's expected of me so I can still be considered a good Christian? No, he says, give yourself fully. Work with a willingness to sacrifice. Give yourself. He's saying, you know, this work, work for the Lord, which means loving God and loving people. He says, give yourself to that. It means give of your time, give of your energy, give of your resources, give of what you can give. Don't just say, what's the minimum? What do I have to do to keep the paycheck going? No, he invites us to have a different kind of mindset. In Colossians chapter 3, he says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. As we serve our neighbor, as we serve our grandkids and kids, we're doing it not for them so much, we're doing it for the Lord. And so he invites us to do it with your heart. Not just do it just because you're obligated and you're trying to just get by. No, do it with the heart involved in it. Put the whole heart into serving. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. We offer ourselves as a sacrifice. We sacrifice, but we do it in view of God being so merciful to us. We do it in view of God being so gracious to us that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We do it in view of the resurrection. And so in view of what he has done, we give our lives in service to him. Jim Elliott and some others gave their lives in service as missionaries to Ecuador in the 1950s. Uh, Jim Elliott has this quote here. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Elliot and the others, they, they gave their lives in serving as, as missionaries there. They died martyrs' death. But, but Elliot, he, he had this view, and some, when they went to the mission field, were telling them, what are you guys doing? They were, they were sharp, talented, capable guys who, who could make all kinds of money in the business world. They said, what are you guys making this kind of sacrifice doing this for? Well, Elliot, he, he recognized that that which he could have gained from other things, that stuff he was going to lose anyway. He says you know, he can keep that. It's just temporary. So no, he was willing to sacrifice because all of this of this life, it's going to be gone anyway. It's just temporary. But he knew that service for the Lord and making a difference for him, that had eternal value. We work with unmovable commitment. He says, stand firm, let nothing move you. He's saying to keep serving. Keep serving even if the world says is foolish, even if the world says is pointless. Keep serving if, even if you don't see results. Even if you've been loving your neighbor and he doesn't seem to be caring much at all about it. <laughs> keep serving even if you're serving your grandkids and they don't appreciate it. <laughs> Keep serving if you've been sharing with that guy good news about Jesus and he doesn't seem to be any closer to coming to the Lord. Keep on serving. 
keep on serving because of the resurrection. We don't serve just as long as the circumstances are good. We don't serve just as long as we see some results. No, we serve because Jesus lives. And that's not changing. And so we keep on serving. Nehemiah, as we looked at earlier, it's, it's this book that's a way an example of keeping on serving, even when things are tough. And they met a lot of opposition as they worked to rebuild this wall to protect the, the city. In chapter 4, verse 6, he says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. They kept at it, even though it was hard and they were getting opposition. In chapter 6, there was more opposition coming to, to the work, but Nehemiah responded to them. He knew they were, that these folks were trying to get him distracted and get him off onto other things. And he says to them, I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? He's basically saying, I'm, I'm not going to just stop working because you've got some opposition and I'm not going to let you distract me and I'm not going to get involved in all this other stuff. He says, I'm going to keep on doing what God's called me to do. And that's for us too. We keep on doing what God's called us to do. And the world tries to distract and tries to get us off on other things. God's called us to great work. And that's loving people sharing the love of Christ in our actions and our words. He's called us to great work. Don't let the world distract you from doing that. David Brooks wrote a column about a study that they did about kids in music and what kids ended up being successful in music and what kids didn't. And they, they did this study and they, they had done stuff when kids started doing music and then they kind of tracked them along to see how they did. And the ones who stuck with it and did really well, they didn't necessarily have the highest IQ of the other kids. And they didn't even have like better rhythm than other kids. And they didn't necessarily have better musical aptitude or a better ear than the other kids. But one thing that those kids had that was different than the other kids was the way they responded when they were starting out music. They were asked, how long are you going to do it? What are your expectations? What are your hopes? Some of the kids, they were asked, well, what are you going to do? And they said, well, I'm going to give it a try and see if I like it or not. Well, those kids ended up not lasting too long. <laughs> Some kids, they were asked, well, uh, you know, what are you thinking of doing? And they were just, well, my parents want me to do it, so I'm doing it. <laughs> Well, they didn't necessarily be that successful. But there were a few kids who they were asked about their thoughts as they started taking music. And they said, I want to be a musician. I want to make music. And I'm going to do this the rest of my life. Those kids ended up doing really well. Because <laughs> they started out with that determination. They started out with that expectation. I'm going to do this forever. I want to make music. May we be like that when it comes to serving the Lord. May we have that attitude, I'm a servant of God no matter what. And sometimes the world won't like to listen. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be challenging. But I'm serving God for all eternity. I'm serving him no matter what. The resurrection gives us that motivation. And we have that motivation because we know work in the Lord is not in vain. He says, your labor in the Lord 
It's not in vain. It's not pointless. It's not a waste of time. It's always worthwhile to do God's work. It's always worth it to share God's love in your actions and in your words. It's always worthwhile to be obedient to God's word. It's always worthwhile to serve him even if you're not getting any credit, even if your service isn't getting recognized, even if your service doesn't seem to be appreciated, even if it doesn't feel like it's making much of an impact or difference, it's still worthwhile. It's not in vain to to serve the Lord, even if the ones you're serving are not responding right away the way you'd like it. These promises, it's, it's not in vain. No, it's worth it to serve him. What is in vain is to just rush about. In Psalm 39, verse 6, he says, Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth not knowing who will get it. Just worldly work, just working to get stuff, that's in vain. And the world is doing a whole lot of work that is in vain. But serving God, loving people, caring about others and and sharing Christ's love, that's not in vain. God invites us to be involved in work that is not pointless. He invites you, he gives us the opportunity to be involved in work that makes a true difference, a difference not just for now, but a difference for all eternity. Adoniram Judson was a missionary to, to Burma, which is now called... Myanmar, yeah, Myanmar. I keep forgetting how you pronounce it, Myanmar. He, he was a missionary there in 1812 to 1850. He was there, a missionary there for 38 years. He was imprisoned for part of the time, tortured for part of the time. His first wife died while he was there on the mission field. He struggled with depression. And he kept on serving. And he ended up dying there on the mission field. They kept on doing God's work. He ended up, he, he was able, he translated the Bible into Burmese, and he, he got translated into their language. And when he, he died there on the mission field, there was about 20 Christians. 38 years of working, about 20 people come to faith. Didn't seem like a big success. Then there was a, a man, though, at Paul Bothwick. He was invited to go to, to Burma for the 150th anniversary of the first Bible in Burmese. He goes, 150 years later, he goes to this celebration of the first Bible. And he's speaking at an event there. And before he spoke, he, he talked to this one who was translating for him. And he asked his translator, he said, what do you know of this missionary Judson? Translator, just on the mention of the name, he started to cry. He said, oh, he says, we have talked for generations. We've talked about missionary Judson. And he says, my ancestors have told me about how much he loved our people, how much he served, how much he gave. And he says he died a pauper, but he gave us a Bible. And he says, now there are 600,000 Christians in Burma. And he says, every one of those Christians can trace their spiritual heritage back to Judson. When he died, he only thought 20 people had come to faith. 
150 years later, there's 600,000 people who say, we're walking with the Lord. We have life. We know Christ because of that work. It was worthwhile. It might have not seemed all that worthwhile when Judson died. But 150 years later, well, it was worthwhile. It wasn't in vain. God's work has eternal value. It has eternal value to share good news. Uh, doing other stuff, it's maybe just temporal. But the resurrection means that God's work is not just about here and now. The resurrection demonstrates that there's life beyond the grave. And God's work has significance beyond the grave. Jesus in John 6, he's responding to the people when they, they come to him, he had just fed the thousands and then they come, they're basically looking for more food. And he tells them, he says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Don't just work for food that's going to spoil, it's just temporary. Don't just be involved in stuff that's only going to do a little bit good for the here and now. Be involved in work that is for of eternal significance. And that's what God invites us to do. In John 4, Jesus speaking to the woman who kept coming to the well to get water. And he says to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. God used these verses when I was in college. I was thinking about what kind of work God maybe wanted me to do. And I was thinking about doing some kind of international relief work, helping to, to feed hungry people around the world. And that's important work. And that's God calls a lot of people to do that work. But God really kind of used verses like that. Speaking to me, he says, do you want to be involved in work that just feeds bellies? Or do you want to be involved in work that feeds souls? And I really felt called that God wanted me to be involved in work that was feeding souls. And God gives us the privilege, no matter what maybe uh, our occupation that we write down on paper is, God gives each of us the privilege, the opportunity, we can be involved in work that feeds souls for eternity. I've had friends who've had teenage boys and I've been at their house and we've had a big meal and then about an hour later the, the kid's looking in the fridge seeing if there's something to eat. And the parents just get this kind of frustrated attitude like, okay, we worked so hard to try to feed him and now he's still hungry. <laughs> in a way, that's doing the world's work. You, you try to satisfy him. Maybe you can entertain the world for a while. Maybe you can please them for a little while. But pretty soon they're going to be hungry again. When you're sharing the love of Christ, when you're serving in Christ's name, then we get to be involved in a work that fills and satisfies the soul. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can have souls that are filled and we can share with others how their deepest hunger and thirst can be satisfied. We get to share good news that is eternal. We get to be involved in work that has lasting significance. And Lord, that can look at all kinds of different ways for all of us. 
But for each of us, you invite us to be involved in serving people, serving you. And you invite us and you give us the privilege and the opportunity to make a difference for eternity. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.